I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is a crowd podcast. Welcome back to the French Rugby Podcast with me, Tim Groves, ex-Scotland international and adopted Frenchman, Johnny Beatty, and former France hooker, Benjamin Kayser are with me as usual. And you were both together on Channel 4 at the weekend, weren't you? So that was nice. Did you enjoy being in the nice warm studio, Benji, while Johnny was getting drenched <laughs> and deafened in Toulouse? Don't play yourself down there. You were there too, okay, in the background <laughs> doing the hard graft, but Behind you were the there. <laughs> you know, don't, don't try to pretend that this is not this is not a sort of a team effort. But no, it is it was a fair bit of driving, but um, because the studio was in Wales, but it, it was just good to to see a game that had his uh, highs and lows, but in the end there was still semi-final of Ch- a Champions Cup that delivered in the intensity and sort of the what you expect of such a big game. You saw the relief of the boys, you saw the happiness, you saw the impact, you saw how much it means to everyone. But yeah, I think considering how we saw that it was raining sort of horizontally at the beginning of the game, then we were happy to be nicely cuddled (laughs) up in the studio rather than Johnny getting absolutely drenched. It was a passing shower. I'm not that French. It wasn't wasn't that bad. It was like 10, 15 minutes of bucketed, which meant it was a slippy ball and the spectacle was a bit different for the first half, but mate, it wasn't that bad. No, it was just great to be there, great to be at the stadium. You forget how big these people are is the one thing that struck me. Like, <laughs> honestly, see watching, like we talk about him a lot, but Julian Marchand, he's a barrel. Then you've got Charlie Farmina, looks like a keg. And then watching the Arnold brothers, it's like watching two giraffes, like, like they are such big human beings. Um, and I think when you're in professional rugby, you kind of forget how big everyone is. And then as soon as you stop, you're like, holy smokes. You don't you don't forget. You you you, you try to forget as much as you because otherwise you scared shitless. You don't go. <laughs> um, but no, no, it was great to be there. Actually, really enjoyed the game. Really intriguing game. Caught up with a few people. Zach Holmes during the warm-up. Jerome Kano really briefly after the game. Santi Cordero, who talked us through exactly what they've all been through. Mate, like, considering what they've been through and the context they had for their prep, they were awesome. He basically just made it out of his bed to come to the stadium. Remy Lamarat still in his bed. Jefferson Poirot just did the team run. Insane. So the fact that they hung in there for that long, we'll get onto the game in a minute, but the fact that they did dig in was hugely impressive. Um, but no, just great to be there. Great to be at Live Sport and great to be part of the team. It was good fun. Although I couldn't see you, Benji. That was the, It was quite weird just having you in my ear. It'd be nice to have seen you guys and been with you. I'm sure you could have seen me and you were laughing at me getting hosed on. <laughs> By the by the weather, but it was it was just cool to be part of the team. I enjoyed it. We were laughing at you, but it was funny <laughs> yes, because you we, were. there was a, we there, were. Listen, there was a screen there was a screen of you all the time, and obviously yeah. you didn't know when you were on shot or not because, like <laughs> no. you said, you were, so you were constantly nodding your head to you know to be part of the conversation. With me. When I'm in the corner of my eye, I was thinking, Johnny, we can't see you. You know, I always wanted to text you at some point. You know, say, save you your didn't. energy. There's no point. You almost wanted to text me and help me, but you didn't. Sneaky because I was told to switch everything off because I, <laughs> I bought my French phone. You mentioned the problems Bordeaux had. We saw the team sheets and obviously Higginbottom on the bench, Poirot, yeah. usually Skipper on the bench. We spoke to Cordero before the game. So Cordero was allowed there because he'd obviously, he obviously passed a subsequent test, but we know yeah. that he was out because he hadn't trained. The few that were left on the bench that you maybe expected to start, was that all because of fitness or was it a sort of plan to, to stick in the game and then finish strongly? I think genuinely it was a case of what they could cobble together. So guys like Alex Rumat, like Alexander Rumat, great lineup for it, but he hasn't started at eight once this year, I don't think. Not a natural eight, he's definitely a flanker. And he was outstanding. Like he's great lineup time. Him and Walkie caused them to lose real problems. But mate, it was. I think they'd had generally two days training as a team with what they could, so completely makeshift. And Jeff Poirot basically rolled out of his bed past the test and sat on the bench. So look, when you consider that they, they played an ultra pragmatic, they kicked everything long, forced to lose to play, low energy, low risk, which actually really worked with the conditions. You know, Toulouse were chucking everything about in the rain, high-risk rugby, turning themselves over in their own third, Bordeaux sneaking some points. Like, they hung in the game. That's why it was so impressive. But 
it was what they could get out on the field. And, and those guys that came off the bench did really, really well. But ultimately, as a collective, around 60, 70, I'm not sure if it came across on TV, but you could see just like body language. They were just guffed. Like, honestly, from 1 to 15, the entire team, they just start their body language, start to go a little bit. They were hanging in there, but then they start slipping off defense, a couple of tackles, like you, you let Colby go away once. That's it. You have to be at their 100%. And they were exhausted, the poor boys. So look, they gave an incredible account of themselves with a limited game plan. Jallybur was fantastic as well, um, leading everything, but they just couldn't cling on. I think if it had gone, if you'd blown the whistle, maybe 50, 60 minutes, they would have maybe hung in there, but it was just a step too far with the prep that they had. It was mission impossible. Johnny, it's, it's fair to say that it's it's a win for them. Listen, they oh, already huge, made history. They made the, the history of the club. I think Christophe Furos will be like, listen, of course... It, there's two sides, you know, two ways of sort of seeing this. Either you say, listen, the fully loaded Bordeaux team who had been preparing this for six months loses by one point in Toulouse. And then you're livid and you're like, oh, what can we do? But Toulouse or Toulouse, and when they're hot, Christophe Vios knew that he was going to need an outstanding performance to beat them, right? Yeah. So in the end, you actually take on that, exactly what you said. Some boys rolled out of bed, but then rolled up their sleeves and went properly at it and gave them a proper run for their money. That's heart and commitment. Oh, 100%. And on top of that, he, could, he challenged the mentality of his team and they did brilliantly well. Don't forget that that race to the top six in top 14 is going to be mental. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at it the other day. I think Bordeaux are seventh or something, or but they've got two games uh, yeah. off. So they can be third if they win by 10 points. They can catch up with Clermont, stuff like that. But they're going to need that grit. They're going to need that that doggish uh, all, all across the team to be able to front up anytime, anywhere. There's going to be some other COVID cases, right? There's mm-hmm. going to be some other games that are going to be threatened. There's going to be this one guy who gets, you know, who's going to need to recover of three days out of a virus. We don't know how it impacts you. And that's purely, you know, the, the 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 heads and the hearts combining together to make sure that you, your your body can front up. So I think it's a massive Huge. win in the spirit, and and that they'll they'll yeah they'll take a lot away from it. And in terms of the game itself, Johnny's mentioned the size of uh, Julien Marchand, and he's also mentioned the weather and the line out. You got to share your man crush, Benji, with the Channel Four viewers before the game, but then he lost about four lineouts. What was going on? To be honest, I think I think Egan Botam was put on the bench for a reason. Is because Wookie, Guido Petit, and and uh, Alex Rumat in the lineout are a bloody nuisance. I think when they when they won that game against Racing, which was just a you know three point here, three point there, whatever, and that's that's the point that I tried to make on TV before the game is how they impacted their lineout. Johnny will tell you when you get within your twenty two, some teams don't jump at all. Some will just do it like a block. You'll get one really good Voki, and he's he's got full license to travel wherever he wants. So that if you get three guys up in the air, you still have another four that are on the on the floor waiting, you know, to kill whatever that's in front of them. There is a risk at lineout defending, right? It, it is a commitment. That's why teams try to do it away from their lines Bordeaux do it all the time yeah it's clearly a strategy five meters away they will push you to be really good and why did Julien Marchand miss the throws it's overthrows for one and because he was forced to go at the back a lot yeah they had those two monster pods that were coming up so I think it was all part of a strategy it was a smart play probably tweaked a couple of minutes before the kickoff because of the conditions that that proved to be to be crucial but it's in France, everyone will know that maybe in Europe it's not really renowned, but in, in France, if you want to beat Toulouse, you need to dominate the possession. They need the ball, right? They're not a defensive kicking in the corner team. They need the ball. They need you to overplay and drop a loose ball so they can counter. And they need to be able to set up their attacking phases. So if you kill them from the start, it's complicated. They're the exact opposites in teams. So Toulouse is pr- play everything, play every ball like it's the last ball. Bordeaux and Urios is low risk. Like you'd see, he's like, kick as long as you can down the middle of the pitch. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Watch Maxi Medar turn, run back and fetch a ball 15 yards and he'll still run back because that's what they do and that's where they fell into the trap. But the line out, absolutely right. In terms of the work done, obviously, in the analysis group on Arnold Brothers, everything pivots around them. So basically, they covered the front and the middle and forced them to go to the tail, but they had Cameron Walkie on a half lift and Cameron Walkie's like six, 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 seven massive levers. And that's it, like you said, the, the amount of overthrows. I mean, they got, they got pinged a couple of times because they won a couple at the tail. But it's hard, like it's hard graph when you've got walkie and he'll know walkie from French camp. He'll know how dangerous and how athletic he is. And once you're in a hooker's mind, that's it. It's all about planting that seed of doubt and pressure and everyone can crack. Nobody is um, infallible. Um, but that was it. Just It was like two completely opposite teams in their styles. And that's why I enjoyed it. The contrast and how they want to play. And Toulouse were kind of guilty of overplaying and turning ball over. But ultimately, yeah, as but the game wore on. That's them though. That's I know, them, right? But I'm like, can you do that against La Rochelle? If you're trying to win knockout rugby by playing against nature... 
you're doomed from the start, right? What what got them to the semi is that whenever they chuck the ball around, they're incredible. I, I agree with you that sometimes they went a little bit too far, but that first try, if Matisse Lebel, you know, tries to kick it through instead yeah. of going at it for him, then they don't score and then don't win. Uh, maybe Ch Cheslin Colby, you know, World Cup winner is the only one who had the smarts to be like, boys, let's pace it a little bit and I'll get out of my cage at the 50th, 60th minute because when he does... <laughs> He just broke some hips again. It's just, he is a freak of nature. Yeah. Um, but I agree. I, I, I'm always really annoyed where the, the global um, comments will be, ah, oh, too many mistakes. But mistakes are provoked. It's not handling skills. It's not, um, you know, uh, up in the air, the guy choked. It's not skill-free mistakes. It's very high skill mistakes that they make. So it's their top, they're trying the top of the top. I've got in my mind, you don't remember, it's a launch off, off a line. I can't remember what happens. Andrew Marchand, not my man crush, but my really good buddy, <laughs> basically bumps off a guy <laughs> and then he's on the floor and he's trying to flick it. Of course, yep. he shouldn't do that. That's that's way too much. But if he does, <laughs> it's chucking it down and they're scoring a 60-meter try. Yep. So it's not like he's, they're trying some crazy stuff, you know, just for the sake of it. It's That's, that's who they are. I've just never played in a team where that was acceptable or tolerated even so that's why it's even more impressive in a semi-final to watch them try and do that's it that's why Antoine Dupont left your club mate and a few more euros let's be honest I'm out but that's why like the, the contrast in philosophy and you can't forget that Hugo Mola and Christoph Urios have had big fallings out in the past over their philosophy because they were at the same they were at cast together right as players no so Christoph was coach of the academy and Hugo was still a co uh, still a player I think and possibly they were part of the same coaching setup and just massive contrast in philosophy. And that's why it was so interesting to watch them in the press. They go back and forth and they like barbed remarks all week, which is quite interesting. And then to see exactly how their team's set up because they couldn't be further apart. But ultimately, Toulouse were too good on the day and they go through. And La Rochelle's win over Leinster. Then we said last week that they try and beat Leinster physically, maybe try to do to them what Saracens have done in recent years. So did Will Skelton just take the playbook with him? Was it that simple or was there more to it? The same idea as I said, Toulouse did what Toulouse do best, while La Rochelle did what La Rochelle do best. It cost them for the first 20 minutes, let's say, let's take it like that, because Leinster are clinical or super fast, missing Johnny Sexton, okay, but still a, a shit ton of experience, some incredible players, um, you know. But then on the day, when La Rochelle decide, like you said, Will Skelton and all his mates decide to put the ball on, you know, on, under there, to grab the ball and just, and just, just go at it the way that they like to play, they are unfreaking stoppable. Yeah. They are full of passion, full of understanding. What I like about it is that they apply their, their strength, power, energy sort of style of play to the discipline that's needed in European rugby. 100%. That's where I think they got it right. International. That margin, but, but that margin of limit, that limit is very, very hard to get to. It's, it's, it's the proper gray zone. So on the day, it went beautifully. I'm so chuffed for them. My brain thought that Leinster's clinical side um, experience um, speed of play as a whole was going to be a little bit too much but my heart was happy and when you see that there was what a thousand fans you know cheering on the La Rochelle boys before they got into the stadium that that club has got a special vibe that club has got a big heart that club is backed with the biggest two biggest CVs of you know coaches uh, for European rugby by a mile and and they've already made history and they're still hungry I loved Craig Aldrit at the end of the game was like no no it's it's, it's great but we're not done yet it's impressive for me as well how far they've come as a club in such a short space of time. Like they're, they're essentially the success story, the equivalent of Exeter in England for people that don't understand. Yeah. Like how long ago they, they came up from Pro Do, the investment that the people that they've had come into the club and play and drag them through and that continual investment. Like it's an amazing place to go and play rugby. Like I'm not sure people in the UK or further afield will recognize La Rochelle Stadium, but like you'll know, Benji, and I've been there. It's an amazing place to go and play. The fans are insane. The rugby has always been good. And it just came, it seems that incrementally they've just gotten better and better and better and gone up notch after notch. And look, that game I get, we did talk about the physicality last week, but once you get Big Willie Skelton, Antonio, Botia, they're trundling and they're dominating that game line. Like Will Skelton once or twice made Tash Furlong, who's going to be the Lions tight head, look like a child and like was <laughs> flinging off. Leinster back rowers like they were kids like it's phenomenal and like you get big monstrous blokes like that physically we've all played against them but the fact that he is consistently able to go into like a one two three defensive channel and dominate people like that at a two yard start when everyone knows he's coming he's a marked man they've said like his head needs to be on a plate chop him down they couldn't deal with him and like once you've got him 
Botia and all these guys, and they're so well organized. And as you said, Benji, discipline, the level they play at now, it's like watching international side, better than some international sides because they're so well organized. They stick together. They don't deviate from a plan and they've got quality in every facet of their play. And once that train sets off, it's almost impossible to pull them back and stop them. So look, Leinster are a good side. I'm not really too sure if Johnny Sexton would have made too much difference. Byrne was exceptional in the quarterfinal when he played when they won at Exeter. I'm not sure if like La Rochelle now going to this as favourites and what we've seen. So do you not think? You think experience no. tips it? But it's like the way they're but, playing but that's, mate, but that's the, the players they've got. Favourites, not favourites. It's two teams going at it in three weeks' time. Knockout rugby. Of course. You just don't know. I think La Rochelle are getting better and better every week that they play European rugby because they, they learn that, that experience by, by winning. Uh, Toulouse have got a little bit more. So they're going to be, you mentioned Clément Poitronneau and stuff. I think he's won two at least. So he's going to be sitting down in the changing room, you know, speaking to Zach Holmes and speaking to Antoine Dupont and speaking to Romain Tamac and be like, boys, right. Yes, I know that you guys think you're going in uncertainty. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen. And that knowledge is is absolute gold in, in those moments. And that's the same That's the same reason why I'm telling you that Ronan O'Gara and, and John O'Gibbs will be so influential during that week and they'll put something together. So really, really looking forward to it. 10,000 fans, it's much miles better than nothing. Unfortunately, it won't be 10,000 or 5,000 Toulouse and 5,000 Laochette because 150% they would have traveled the world for their team. Yes. Um, but it'll still be fantastic. We trailed it last week, Benji, so let's get a guest on now and have a chat about the man who has just taken La Rochelle to their first ever European Cup final, but is off to Claremont next season. Jono Gibbs is very much the man of the moment and a man who knows him well is your old Claremont and France teammate, Damien Shuley. How are you, Damien? I'm very good. How are you? We're well, we're well. And we were just chatting about La Rochelle's win over, over Leinster at the weekend, so were you surprised how sort of physically dominant they were? Yeah, I was surprised uh, by the fact they were... They were very consistent for 80 minutes. Yeah, knowing Leinster, I would have thought they would have won the second half and uh, that was not the case. So yeah, it was a very good win for La Rochelle. And we mentioned, you know, John O'Gibbs very well. Give us an insight into what he's like as a coach, what he's like as a bloke, what he's like to play for. I think he's probably one of the best coach uh, I have, like in terms of the set piece, the line outs and the details, very detail oriented. And uh, clearly you can see Walk uh, he has made uh, with La Rochelle, uh, very strong, very well organized, and uh, they probably built the Leinster uh, on one of their strengths. So, Jono, yeah, definitely a good technician and a good bloke. When it's time to go get a beer, he's always the, the first, right? so you can ask Ben also. <laughs> Are you surprised that he's decided to leave La Rochelle and go back to Clermont? Benji said previously he's not surprised because he absolutely loved it, but does it surprise you that he's leaving La Rochelle to heading back to Clermont? Not really, because I think he, he left Clermont, but he probably liked his time in Clermont and probably wanted more than just uh, like being a forward coach. And this is why he probably left Clermont. And now he had the opportunity to come back and uh, and be the, 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 the top guy, like the, the man in charge. So, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised. And also, I think this is the probably the, the, the best choice for Clermont as well. So, number one, super weird to speak to a French mate in English. Yeah. Because <laughs> that, that probably only happened to us in the very, very late nights at different, you know, European trips or whatever that we did. But no, normally not in normal circumstances. But for people under... The reason why Shul knows John O'Gibbs so well is that you have to remember that Damien was the captain of the team, but he was also the line-out caller. John O'Gibbs, mega, mega little baby, is line-outs. And uh, Shul, as you can hear, speaks perfect English. And John O'Gibbs speaks absolutely no French. He was the translator. I was the translator. We knew him a little bit better than, than people would because he would give that that first rough, tough, uh, super clinical and, and detail-orientated coach. But on top of that, he's got a lot more to offer in terms of personality and charisma that he, he's able to, to show. I, I personally think that if, if you try to replace Funk by Jono straight up, you know, straight flop, it's not going to work. I think John is going to have to, to be allowed to, to bring in his own staff, create his own thing, because we know him as a forwards coach. And we knew he was, like I was telling the boys last week, he was never really a forwards coach for Clermont, was he? He was like number one beast, right? They were sort of doing things together. But we've never seen him as a manager. Yeah, as you said, I think he, he just needs to build his own team around him, which is like sometimes difficult in Clermont. So if you want to build like a, a project, like uh, not only on the the way they play, like the game, of course, the, the set goals in terms of like uh, win titles and uh, championships or whatever, but also like uh, 
have a project for the, the club to grow, like uh, from the, the, the academy for, to, the, to the, the professional team. So I um, think this is the, the mentality because Clermont have been doing very well for the last like uh, 10 years or so. And uh, now the fact that they need a new head coach now, like it's time to, uh, this is my opinion, but I think this is time to, to change and, uh, and see like uh, a bit more forward. Did he give you a call? <laughs> no, no, no. I see one more year to play. You're thinking of coaching at Perpignan after your playing career, no? This is one option. This is not the plan because uh, my optional year to be like maybe in the staff or to keep playing. So I will keep playing for one more year. And then after we will see how it goes. Like, uh, it's very, very hard to, to see more than one year ahead. Benji told us last week that he turned down the top job above Jono Gibbs at Clermont. So when he's in that position, he'll give you a call and, um, and call you up, Damien. As long as I get most of the money, then you're more than welcome to come. <laughs> Just give us an insight as well. Obviously, you know, you and Benji both know Franck as Emma very well as well. So what, what are the kind of differences between Franck and Jono? Franck is more like uh, human-oriented. Like, like well, as we used to say, like, uh, like the French or more the Latin way, I, I guess. Like uh, in comparison to, to the detail and uh, the, the structure, like just the... The focus is different. So it's funny because Lachul can tell you when... So Vern Cotter was an absolutely hugely influential guy at Clermont, changed the whole culture, a bit of a dictator. He was a proper tough, tough man, but he really changed everything. And he signed me, he signed Schul, and he was he was the absolute boss in Clermont. And then the day that he announced he was going to leave, it was an earthquake. You know, it was every that was all the press was talking about, and obviously the boys were talking about, and we just didn't know who was going to do what. And I remember the the president gave putting everybody in the room. And I was like, right, so the next coach of Clermont is going to be, and then it was like Franck Azema, but he's also coming with uh, a forwards coach. I don't know who is behind that signing, but I think it was a particularly smart combination of like Shul said. The human side of Frank Frank is, is a hard worker, but he bases everything on emotion. Uh, probably that, a bit more of the French way of doing it. He needs to care. He needs to love. He needs to be genuine, honest, and upfront with his players. And Jono has just got that, that Kiwi eye that is just always looking for detail, constantly asking you questions. Like he would sit with Shul and be like, right, so in the lineup, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. Or what are you going to do? And Shul would tell him, well, usually we do this, we do that. And he's like, why? Why? And he's constantly asking you to, but it's not so much for him to get the question. It's for to, to challenge you, to challenge yourself constantly to actually understand what you're doing. And so that, that different eye was, was always brilliant. I always tell that same story. Should remember the one where he gave us that video with all the kickoffs? You, you see Cami Lopez, you know, raise the ball, kick it, but you, never, you didn't see, he would press pause before you could tell where the ball was going. And you turn around like, Shul, where's that ball going? So, well, we, we don't know. All right, next one and next one. And, and he just that, did that 15, 16 times. And we're like, John, I don't know, where, what's your point? And he's like, well, before every kickoff, the ref asks the kicker, which side are you kicking so that he doesn't go in his way? So surely look at where the ref is. The ball normally, most of the time, goes on the upper, opposite direction. And that's already a massive help, you know, for the players when you're trying to always predict what's going to happen on the field. And it's true that I was 32 at the time or whatever. I thought I'd seen it all. And then this guy rocks up and he's like, and that's, that was John O'Gibbs. He would constantly ask you to challenge yourself. Why this foot first? Why this hand first? Why are you doing this? To actually give you knowledge and power. People might have heard a phone there, Benji. Was that Jono increasing the offer for next season? Give me a million, mate. <laughs> a million francs. You've got it. Yeah. Do you reckon that that signing came from Joe Schmidt? I, I, I have no idea. Sure, I don't know if you know, but... Probably like going in near. Another Scott, great lad. Um, <laughs> mate, in, t- in terms of the rebuild that you've got to do as well, because obviously you've got Para Lopez potentially coming to the latter stages of their career. How big of a rebuild do you see? And obviously the massive shift towards Gif and the emphasis that's been placed on young French players. Is the squad going to have to change massively? Yeah, I think so. The thing is, like, Juno, like, already know these guys. So knows what they've been doing, what they've been bringing to the, to the club and the team. So also it depends on the, the spirit, like... Uh, Right now, you can see like like everyone like it's, it's been a couple of difficult years for for Clamo. so I think everyone were waiting like the players were waiting for the new coach to be named, and um, from what I know, they are Peter Dites Jono, so maybe it will bring everyone like uh, something that can like motivate like uh, everyone again. So it has to be a good mix between the young players and. Uh, 
and of, of course the, the experimented ones because you can see from the last few games like you need experience and you've mentioned already damien that Jono likes a drink and then um, benji's told us a couple of stories already i'm sure he'll come in but um any particular good memories of Jono? maybe title celebrations in 2017 at claremont or any others that stand out i think i remember a camp we had in a, in a benidorm in spain oh good yeah <laughs> it started well and uh, yeah, so of course we went to a bar and then well, probably like, a, I don't know, not even many people, maybe six, six of us. And you know, all the like seven pins and uh, say, why? And then he gives all the, 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 the drinks and keeps two for himself because uh, this is what you do. Like uh, two sips, one, two sips, the other, and then that's it. <laughs> He'll chop one and then he starts drinking. <laughs> basically that's that's his that's his thing was benji there on that night in benador i was mate i was now nah, it's it's listen we're not going to go into the details of what happens and stuff oh, some come of on, us lads. can handle does it incriminate you did you do something in benador benji Doesn't <laughs> because shul basically is always there at the end so he's got an encyclopedia on everyone you know the wikipedia of going out well that's that's damian shuli because he's oh, wow. usually the he's the one you know brushing the the broom of, of the nightclubs at the end, making sure everybody's going back and this and that. And normally he never gets in trouble. Just to clear this up, are we saying that Damien is the Joe Tacori of Clermont? Is that what we're saying? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, <come on. laughs> but to be it's fair, Joe, Joe, Joe drink, drinks a lot more than Chul. Yeah. Well, that, well, that one is a, he's a bamboo, mate. He'll, he'll never move. We're still playing, so yeah. That's the key. We've just, I was going to ask you what the key to your longevity is, Damien. Clearly it's, um, Good nights out and being good on that <laughs> side of things. As Ben say, like uh, I'm always keen for for a beer or to have fun with the guys. But if I was just like going to training and come back home and focus 100, percent I would probably not been been playing anymore. So. We've had some of Benji's teammates on here before, and he always gets off really lightly. Everyone says, "Oh, good bloke, really." Oh, Benji's such a legend that never gives us any stories. So come on, there must be something. There must be some dirt on Benjamin Kaiser from your folder of nights out. There's a whole chapter in it. There's a whole section <laughs> of it. <laughs> I don't know. Should I mention the, yes. the video I sent you the other day? You know, in Which Toulouse. One? In Toulouse. Oh, la vache. Oh, putain. <laughs> No, that's that's all right. That's that's a slip up. That's a slip up. A proper proper slip up. Maybe both of you can tell it together. That way we get both sides of the story, Benji. I can tell you what I what I remember of it, and obviously he'll have a completely different story yeah. to no, it. I, I don't want to hear had, your version. We had Benji. very we had very very distant, not particularly unsimilar nights, basically. But to sum it up. We were we won in Aja on a Thursday, and all the French team boys before we got on camp to go to with the, rejoin the French team the next day slept in Toulouse for recovery, and then flew the Friday morning up in camp. Obviously, a dinner completely slipped out of our hands. That a dinner that was meant to be a quick, you know, something to eat finished up in a massive piss up with the Toulouse boys. Uh, and it was like a kamikaze attack, basically, of that of that restaurant, and it ended up absolutely sideways. And but Lashul Lashul took me home, and in the end, there was some funny time. But the, the video that he's mentioning is that you know that you have some crazy memories of some crazy nights, and there's these guys. It was in William Servat's, the hooker and the French team coach. It was in his restaurant, and he had mates from Le Gers or something. They were playing. How do you call it? the accordion? You know that the yeah. accordion. Yeah. Accordion, yeah. and they were playing that, but they were playing uh, what is it? ACDC, Highway to Hell with an accordion or something. <laughs> so it was just one of those crazy moments and stuff. But Lachul took uh, took care of me, and then we got home. And then if you want to add anything, fine, but you'll lose a mate. So just go, go on. Yeah. yeah, and then he ended up in the, in the flowers uh, by the other. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> eating, eating the flowers. <laughs> you mentioned this was in Toulouse. Was was Joe Takori there as well or not? No, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't. Oh, okay. We were lucky that he was not here. <laughs> Could have been worse, Benji. We would have yeah. never made it. The next day was a little bit less funny. I was still pissed. Got got into the plane with the fourth coach of the French team. I haven't made the French team for for five years. It was my big comeback, and I rock up and my eyes are looking sideways, <laughs> and I should, and I was. You know when you're on a hide the next morning and stuff, and Lashul is, I'm just speaking, and Lashul comes next to me, he's like, shut up, shut up, shut up, stop speaking. <laughs> you know, we can sort of smell you a mile away. Just keep your mouth shut and sit on that bus or whatever. But in the end, yeah, now we, we got bollocked and we got told on a Sunday there was a full-on opposition, 15 on 15. If you guys don't kill it, you're going to pack up your bags and go. And to be to be fair, all the all the Clermont boys fronted up and we killed it and then we stayed on. So you've been looking after him your whole career, Damien, basically. You've just been nursing Benji three nights out. 
Yeah. Don't say yeah like that. You, <laughs> you could give, give a bit more to it. Come on. You know, I, I didn't need a babysitter either, but it's true that in your Wikipedia, in your Wikipedia, there, there's a there's a proper section. Mate, so obviously Claremont, you're now at Perpignan. Um, how are you finding Pro Do? I've been there myself. It is not an easy league. How are you enjoying it? It's just the length of the championship because you have just one competition, 30 games, and and we just keep going like all year. Especially this year, because we feel like, as a player, we feel like it's been two years in a row, actually, because last year was yeah. very frustrating. The, the championship stopped after 23 games, I think, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it was just, like, uh, almost two years of, like, battling uh, here and there to to make the finals. So, yeah, we we did it. We're qualifying the semi-finals, so yeah, we can't wait. The other thing I wanted to ask you, obviously coming from Clermont, you'd have been taking the private jet, the G6, and you'd be flying everywhere. And then you get to Pro and there's no budget and you're on the bus and you have to bus to Van, you have to bus to Nevers and Aurillac to like the other side of France. I don't think people understand, but like when you, for instance, with Bayonne and we, I think we won our semi or something to get to the final against Oyonnax. We drove on a Thursday, 14 hours. And then the game was at Friday on at like at 12.30. And that was it. So basically we like passed the whole day and just like probably do the prep and the money that teams have. It's like you get together a team and that's it. They don't have money for travel or for decent, like it sounds stupid, but decent kit or decent food, food pre-match. It's just what team can we get out and how can we perform? But like, how are you finding? It's a yeah. massive change. And like, again, if you play and you win, generally you don't stay overnight. You get straight back on the bus and you get back to your family at seven in the morning and you haven't slept. Like, it's just mental. How are you finding that kind of stuff? Mentally, it's a different challenge. Yeah, that's the other difference. Uh, With Perpignan, we're busing everywhere, but in Van or Rouen, we're flying. And the other thing is, uh, in Pro Do, the games are always at night. Yeah. So when you play at nine o'clock, you finish the game at midnight and you just on the bus all night and sometimes you come back it's 7, 7 in the morning 7.30 and a new day has already started so it's a day off but it's not <laughs> it's hard work and speaking of the grind we better let you go soon because you'll, you'll have to get back to it Damien but just before you do go we, we did a French citizenship test with Johnny and Benji a couple of weeks ago and uh, Johnny won I mean Benji's an adopted Englishman now so what do you make of him moving over here and, and becoming English I think he's always been an English but <laughs> Says Damien Schulli, who's probably the most travelled Frenchman you can find, who's married, who, who, whose uh, life partner is American. I'll take that as a compliment. So does this mean you're moving to America when you did that, Ben? Uh, I don't know. Honestly, we don't know. You need to speak to Jono first. You're moving back <laughs> to Clermont, mate. You're going to become the forwards coach. Let's be honest. If you've called the line out, he speaks English, doesn't speak any French. You speak English. He needs a forwards coach. I know he speaks good French now. But yeah, no, let's see. No, honestly, I don't know. Like... Uh, my uh, my girlfriend is happy in France. She doesn't see herself moving back for to to US right now. So let's see how it goes. Excellent. That's it. Well, it's been great to have you on, Damian, and we look forward to the dream team. You, Benji, Jono, Gibbs, all getting back together in Clermont soon. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Good luck for the rest of your mate and the. Uh... In the quarters and semis, good luck with Perpignan and hopefully we'll see you back in the top 14. Yeah, thank you. Cheers, mate. Ciao, Rashul. Hello, I'm Garrett Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And this is your official invite to come and join our brand new cycling club. Now, good news, it's a podcast too. So you can come and listen to us, try and build this club from scratch. And we'll have a few familiar faces joining us for the ride too. Right, G, time to tell everyone what we've called this club. Well, we thought long and hard about this, so we come up with a strong, original name that really stands out. The Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Yeah, I suppose it's easy to remember at least, isn't it? We will have new episodes for you every single Tuesday. Come and join us. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Great to have Damien on and um, Perpignan. On the way back, eh? The way he won it with them, didn't he? Against Claremont in, was it 2009? A long time ago. Now Absolutely. he's back there, gone full circle. They could be back, couldn't they, next year? 
I think I don't know, Johnny, if you follow much of the Pro D2, but I, th I think they will be back. I think they're clearly the, the the better side. But the thing is, it's it's you only get qualified to the semis. So semi and final, that's that's all it's going to get you to, and you just don't know what's going to happen. Berits are pretty solid. Oyonnax are solid. Yeah. Perpignan are good. Van are just surprising, but but they're delivering uh, week in, week out. So you just don't know. It's going to be four quality sides going at it. I think they should get promoted, but with Van especially, it might be a proper proper challenge. And great to get Damien's insight into John O'Gibbs as well. Just to finish our chat on on him and La Rochelle's win over, over Leinster, talking there about how detailed he is. Obviously, it's far more than just... Will Skelton, Winnie Antonio, bulldozing over people. There were there were serious tactical elements to that game against Leinster, but they did seem to nullify every threat that Leinster had. They just didn't seem to be able to get going. The whole defensive strategy, which will be a mix of, of Ronan Ogara and Jono, probably spotted the few little weaknesses and where to hit and how. Um, I mean, if you want to talk about Will Skelton again, I've played against Will Skelton many times with Saracens, and most of the time he didn't start. Because you got George Cruz and Maru Itoji. Because mm -hmm. he's always been a unit. He's always been freakishly powerful. He could cost you the game because he's so big, and he, he he can hit people into a different galaxy. You know, so so basically, you you could get a, a silly uh, card. You could be the powerful guy, but not particularly efficient. Now I feel that he's got the right balance between those things, and I think that's also not him maturing as a bloke, probably, or as a player but also the help of the coaches. That's where they manage those top, top players. They just need to be managed and tweaked and, you know, get them a, a proper game plan to allow them to express their God-given ability in the most efficient way. And that's really the way that I see it. And like Johnny said, you apply that to Skelton, to Antonio, to Botia, to Aldrit in a different way. You let Victor Vito do his own thing. You had Ayaya West also, who had a hell of awesome. a game. Yeah. Number 10. And I, he's always been very good. But sometimes I didn't know he could perform as well as that on that top, top level. And he really did. So, listen, they're, they're, they're all good. I think they're ready. Um, a, hell of a, a hell of a final that's coming up. But for sure, it's not just let's batter them physically. There's a lot more to it. Well, just the word that I liked that you used was detail. I think like whatever coaching staff I was involved with, the more detail there was in the game the better it allowed me to be and I think if you look at the detail around like the way they carry how they carry how they clean how together they are um the mall platform defensive organization like and in multi-phase both sides of the ball they're just so well organized it looks like it's impossible to get the ball back off them they're obviously physical and abrasive but they're so tight and cohesive that like they're a proper proper side um and like as you said the guy I wanted to mention was Aya West and Carabao, I think they, again, like with that detail and everyone being on the same hymn sheet, they just look like everything's clicking. It's coming into place. And one more name before we move on, Benji. We know about your man crush on Julian Marchand. The whole of the UK has heard about it now on Channel 4 at the weekend. Pierre Borgery, where does he rank in your affections? Because he's having a hell of a season, isn't he? Yeah, well, I don't, I don't have the same personal connection, but I can only tell you that he's, he's a hell of a player for sure. Um, I love the story. Him and Aldrit being, uh, you know, playing for the Espoirs of Osh. Osh was federal one between Toulouse and Agen, let's say, uh, southwest France in the Gers country of ducks and foie gras and, <laughs> and all those things. And the forwards coach for La Rochelle is a guy called Grégory Patat, who is like one of the historic players of Osh. And he just went to get those two guys who are absolute monsters out of nowhere where they were playing the equivalent of the academy, let's say. And I think one of them was even on the bench for the academy or whatever. This is some sort of crazy story that he really handpicked them out of nowhere. And then six months later, he was running 60 meter tries in top 14 and then got called up for the French team. So I think that call up for the French team was a little bit early. He still needed to work on his individual skills, you know, line out throwing and all that. He's a very good scrum measure. That's never the issue. I guess you could compare him to Luke Kawandiki. In terms of way of playing, he's very, very explosive. That doesn't look the biggest. He's not the biggest, but he actually the, he's he physical. Is seriously, seriously powerful. And I just think now that he's tidied up his his line out throwing and his his discipline on the field, again he can just concentrate on doing what he's very good at, and he's very lethal with a ball in hands. He can defend well and can cover a lot of ground. So, yeah, he had, he had a monster of a game. I think he was man of the match. Yeah. Um, I, oh, I hope I hope Julien Marchand doesn't get suspended. Apparently, there's some sort of there's a play at 20, 20th minute of the game where there was a bit of a late tackle or something. I didn't see much to it. I don't see there would be enough for him to get suspended. Hopefully, but uh, if he doesn't, then it'll be a proper matchup between two top hookers. 
I just love Osh because it was my first game of rugby in France with Scotland under 18 and I finished in tip-top nightclub. I'm not sure if it's still standing, but that's where I was eating flowers of Greg Laidlaw with Darren. <laughs> You'll know Darren. Darren comes out once he's had too many drinks. <laughs> but that was our first proper night out together it was FC Osh in tip-top nightclub. Great memories. What a name for a nightclub as well. We'll have to come back to that. The names of French nightclubs. Tip-top. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> love it. And Benji, you sped straight from doing Toulouse-Bordeaux for Channel 4 to cover Montpellier's win at Bath. Maybe I shouldn't say sped. I don't know how fast you were going in your French car. All within the limits. <laughs> good, All good, good to hear it. But you were doing that one for French TV in the Challenge Cup. So were you surprised at how that panned out, given how Montpellier is struggling in the top 14? Well, both Montpellier and Bath are actually pretty similar, to be honest. Fantastic lineups of players. I mean, you look at the back, I think it was Faletao, Underhill and Zach Mercer for Bath. On the other side, you have André Pollard, Kobus Reynac on the bench for Montpellier. It's just, it's, it's, it's out of this world. But what I loved about it is that two teams really cared about the competition. They really point, went properly at it too because they wanted to sort of save their season by uh, qualifying to that final. You know, it looks good. You still get some silverware. Of course, it's the big one that everybody wants. Yes, but silverware, silverware. And I'll tell you, I finished with it and I loved every second of it, of that, of that Challenge Cup uh, in 2019. So um, I would, I'm not surprised, basically, to answer your question about how well Montpellier performed because they've been, they've been, I think they won seven games out of eight now. So they're clearly better. The, the, they've got a very, very hungry uh, presence behind them. They've got a huge amount of trouble. Yes, never forget that same André Pollard that you, you signed a massive checkbook for. He broke his ACL first game season. If that's not a blow, <laughs> that's a blow, you know? And he came on, and I was looking at him all the time. It's funny because that was his first game. The, he tackles the guy, he goes to Jackal, and Johnny will tell you when you have your feet stuck on the ground, you know you're going to get hit, and you just let his feet go. Feet go. He just stretched yeah. right out. He didn't want to get into that position where you can get uh, hit. Not for me. So, you, could, so you, could tell, you could tell he's still a little bit out there. But then two seconds later, was it Kokanasiga? I always butcher his name. But came flying into him. And he dove into the knees of this monster dude and chopped him in half. And I'm like, that's not a guy who's coming in pre-retirement. That's a guy who wants to give any kick the winning penalty right at the end on the buzzer. Uh, so it was cool. And six meters away from me was Warren Gatland. And I was trying to, I was trying to make a joke, but I don't think he understood me. I was like, no, you know, you can't pick any of them, huh? <laughs> he didn't. I don't think he liked it. I'm only funny in French in one, in one language. <laughs> it's a tough old season for them, though. Like. Losing Pollard, sacking the coach halfway through the season, Philippe Saint-André coming in, not really coaching, more of a manager. Like it's hard graft. Like we said, with the Toulouse boys winning, after you have to celebrate your wins. And when you've gone through barren, horrible years, as I've been with Cast, with Bayonne, it's grim. So absolutely, you win these games. And like that dangle of a carrot of winning that bit of silver, I just hope, my only hope is it's not to the detriment of the top 14 like they've got this, I think they've got Toulon, Stade Francais, then they've got the final against Leicester. And then their two last games are Bayonne and Poe, which are going to be the big deciders. But it's what can they pick up from Toulon and Stade Francais? Like if you slip up at home in one of those games because your eye's somewhere else, it's horrible. But I'm just delighted for them. There's positivity. They were buzzing. The game itself, it's really weird. Like, like you said, two incredible 15s on the pitch, but like in attack, just completely blunt, almost look uncoached, just like ship the ball on and see what you can do. Not really much organization, but really well defended, probably because the attack is so crap. But again, just a delight for them at the end of the game is the positive. You want them to go forward, keep going on. If they want it, it'd be wonderful. But my, not me being used to being the situation relegation fights, but I'm just like, I just don't want that focus to slip. I want them to stay up because they're a great team. They could be great. Like again, they get a good coach in with that squad that they have they could be competing for the top 14 yeah. title next season. They're that good. So it'd be such a shame to see them slip down. Oh, they're trying to get funk, but unfortunately it's not done yet. They're struggling to, to sort out the, let's, let's call it the zeros. The zeros, yeah. yeah. yeah that's, Clermont won financial compensation, basically, to release him. Um, basically, there's the, the, the president of Montpellier is not happy with the deal that is given to him. But if what he deal? doesn't sign that, the check. Yeah, but... He doesn't want to write a check. But he has to write a check. This Why? is what happened... With because Frank Azema has two years left of contract and he said, I'm resigning because I want to finish. Mate, you've got two years no, no, left no, of contract. He actually, no, but, no, but he actually, I swear, Johnny, he only started speaking to Montpellier after he decided to leave Clermont. I promise you. I was right in the middle of that. I but if, you, if, you, if you're the person that runs Clermont and you've got your coach in charge and he's sitting there 
and he says, no, nah, I'm finished. I'm done. I don't want to don't coach anymore. But then he signs for another team four weeks down the line. You're going to be angry, 100%. Yeah. So they're yeah, going to have yeah, to go yeah. after him. And again, this is the Moed Altrad situation with Goosen and what happened with Racing and Montpellier. It smelled, again, you have a personal relationship with Frank and you trust him. But for everyone from the outside, they'd be like, that stinks. That can happen. And, and Claremont rightly have to be angry with Moed Altrad, 100%. No, I, I, I agree with what you said. But listen, this, that's the situation that there aren't. But the thing is, I was speaking to Philippe Saint-André before the game and I was like, mate, you, you better stop winning because otherwise you're going to stay at coach because he doesn't want to keep on coaching. <laughs> no. He wants Punk to come. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's the only trouble that we've got. But to tell you, the thing about them slipping away from the top 14, even before the game, is like, listen, it's delightful. I'm super happy for the boys. I can't wait. We need to win this one. But if they do, they were already planning eight games in six weeks. It's going to be a nightmare. And so he said to me that they want to go flat. So they're playing La Rochelle next week, but La Rochelle would have just beaten... Uh, Leinster six day turnaround I think they should rotate a little bit to go to Montpellier they've got that one Toulon on the Tuesday and then they play again so basically before the final so he said to me that he's going to go full out for the uh, La Rochelle and the Toulon game and then they're going to have to rotate and the difference again in years past would be teams that hadn't made the top six might also rest or rotate or not care that much but if qualifying for European rugby is top eight next season like that game against Stade Francais becomes massive again and before we go Bernard Laporte has confirmed that France's tour to Australia will go ahead this summer, but it looks like there could be three tests in the space of 10 days instead of on three consecutive weekends. And there's also issues with quarantine. The first test on the 7th of July, the top 14 final on June 26th, that weekend. So they might have to fly out in two separate groups as well. So what do you make of it all? Messy repeating. I've been part of that. I did a summer tour where the semi-finalists and the finalists were not even on tour. So that's a summer tour to Australia. We conceded 70 points in two games for our first two caps. <laughs> it was fantastic in 2008, but it gave me a shot. So I, I was chuffed to be there. I was playing for Leicester at the time. But that, that's, that's, you know, French rugby for you. It's, the French team is not a priority. And you, you know that when you hear Bernard Laporte speaking, so he's the one saying we, we will need to go to Australia to actually um, face some Southern Hemisphere teams, which I think is a very good point. Because French need, they need to, and, and England and all the European sides, they need to challenge the other teams to actually see how good they really are, especially because France are not in the lines, right? So basically, they're going to need to challenge them and to see it. But in the same time, all you hear also is Australia needs the French team to come. And that's not for, to challenge themselves, it's for money. Money. And so they're going to go in two groups. A group who's not going to be part of the finalists will leave and play the first test. And then, what is it, four days later, they're going to play a second test, but it's not going to be the same squad. So basically, it's absolutely impossible to get three. For those three tests, there is no way you're going to have in either of those tests the best team on the field every time. Impossible. All I'm going to say is last time I spoke to a certain member of the coaching staff, they had absolutely no interest in going on tour because it's so far, it's so messy. They knew this was going to happen. And you look already, who's touring Fiji or who was meant to be touring Fiji? Ireland. Ireland, That's yeah, cancelled. And so the, even this is back during Six Nations, they were saying, look, if we can organize something in Europe that's safer for families, for players, there's less stress, closer to the time we have to pull the plug, we would do that. And I think this, you can already see like three tests in 10 days. That's just messy. Um, and you think if they could do something or hold like a little tournament or play against Ireland or have some people in stadiums in Europe, I mean, yes, you're leaving Australia high and dry, but is it more practical? Is it safer? Probably. And you mentioned, Benji, having a joke with, with Gats and the fact that he can't pick any France players. But what if we give him a call? What if we change the rules? Let's have a bit of fun. We've spoken to Gats. He can pick some French players. Tell us who's making the squad. But more importantly, really, who, who out of this current French side would make it into a Lions Test 15? I think, to be honest, I think a lot of them. But just to put things back in perspective, I was making a joke to Gats, but he didn't back. You know, that's, that's how it went. So it's not like we were joking together. I was joking on my own. I was joking to myself. I, I was joking funny. to myself, but I, I thought it was with somebody else, but obviously not. Um, <laughs> listen, the, well, we, we have to get him out of the way because he just, I, not only would he be in the squad, but I reckon he would be a definite starter at the moment is Antoine Dupont. But I think he would also sort of give a solution for the Lions where they don't really know what type of partnership they would have nine and 10. So he would also fill in the gap. There would be an easy pick of oh, this one is done and dusted. I will get him. So for me personally, you would have, you would have definitely Julien Marchand. You would have uh, Cyril Bail de Lucette. 
because at the moment he's he's Mako Vunipola when he's on a high and Mako is just not the same level but the good Mako is is that level now there's there's always a question of do you pick the guys on their form at the moment or their potential form in a couple of months and that's just impossible to do for me at the moment because it's, it's too hard how do you judge the English voice at the moment nobody's speaking about Johnny May a year ago he was the best winger in the world Owen Farrell is you know championship level now they're not right so you just need to give them a couple of weeks and a couple of months so you don't know so I would put Julien Marchand definitely I would put um, Antoine Dupont I would put Virimi Vakatawa and I would throw in uh, Damien Penaud on the wing uh, and then I would have one of the two tens, and that's a very interesting conversation. I'm not sure he would start, but I think I would go with um, Mathieu Jalibert. So I pretty much had this. I had Bay, Marchand, I had Aldrit. I would take Aldrit as a six slash eight. LaRue, like as much as everyone talks about, like I think LaRue, when he's on form, the physicality that he brings is almost better, like different to Toji, but almost like a, ooh, it's a big call, a better version of Alan Wynne Jones. Is that a huge call? Huge I think that's huge different. call. That's, that's different. Different, not leadership. But if you're looking for a guy that could come off a bench or be a squad tourist, 100%, I'd take LaRue. I would take Gail Fiku. I think he's been outstanding as well. I would take Vakatawa. And yeah, 100% Dupont. None of the British nines are on form. I don't think, and compared to Dupont, what he's done over the past 18 months. And you've got two tens that could go as well. Like I think there's a real battle to pick British British and Irish lines uh, tens at the minute, so Intermac and Jally Bear potentially is that a huge call as well. But in terms of squad, I would take them both. And yeah, my wild card was Penno as well. X Factor on the wing, kind of struggling for wingers as well. So you're looking at half the team. I was going to say, so, so let's drill down into this. If we're picking a 36 man squad, we can pick They're French all in. players. So it sounds like at least 10 of them are in. In a test team, who have we got? I'd stick Vakatawa at 13. Uh, I would have Marshawn 100% as my hooker. Dupont would be my nine. So there's three definite starters. Ten? Definite starter, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. But at the same time, and how the hell do you pick out between Entamac, Jalibert, Bigger, Finn Russell, Johnny Sexton, Owen Farrell? Like, you know, I'll let, I'll let them do it. But that's, that's the beauty of the lines. But I also, I, I would take Cyril Bai as a starter. No, but that's why. I, I would put Bai, Marchand, Dupont, and not Gael Ficou, but Vakatawa. Done. Okay, and not the 10. Or we're just copping out on that one. Well, go on then. You might as well. I mean, we can we can always dream and then it's a partnership and it's, so, so is, uh, it, it's a proper solution, you know, for because Antoine Dupont's English is not extraordinary, I would put him with Romain Tamak who speaks really good English to make sure the communication is smooth. <laughs> voilà, there you go. Are you going to have to go on this tour as head of communications yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah, be sorry, sorry, I forgot, I forgot, I forgot to say. And, but I, that's only the case if I'm going as a special coordinator. What's Johnny's role in this? Line out, coach. There we go. Yeah, gimp. We have line out, gimp. <laughs> Borthwick's not going. I'll do line outs. There's a role there for both of you, and I think that was at least four, if not five, Frenchmen in a starting lines fifteen. So there we go. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Benji. And a big thanks to all of you guys for listening as well. Make sure you hit subscribe. Leave us a nice review if you have time. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Au revoir, guys. Cheers. Cheers, boys. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.